Hallelujah. Welcome to this very mighty teaching. And it is a mighty, mighty blessing from the Lord that I can share with you tremendous revelation that the Lord continues to bring forth through His Holy Spirit. The revelation that's embedded in the Word of the Lord, even about the rapture of the church and the coming of Christ the Messiah, the perfect Lamb of God. Today I want to speak specifically about some new insights that the Lord He has given to me about the wedding of the Lamb of God. And in this case, I want to talk about the wedding of the Lamb. And specifically, the title of this message is Redefining the Remnant Bride of Christ. Again, like we all know, the Lord has spoken very clearly in His Word, in the Bible, that only the perfect, spotless Bride of Christ, that is holy and righteous and pure, will enter into the wedding of the Lamb of God. So surely it's a mighty opportunity for me to come into your living rooms, into your homes, offices, wherever you may be listening to this from, with deeper insights, even as we dig deeper into the word that the Lord spoke. Today our lead scripture is going to be based on the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 1 to 13. And I'm going to re-examine with you this mighty, mighty scripture when the Lord Jesus himself spoke about those that will be able to enter into the kingdom of God, into the wedding of the Lamb of God. And he spoke very clearly on the identity of those that will enter into the kingdom of God. I think that is a climax and a finality on the definition of what it takes to enter into the wedding of the Lamb of God. It's a climax and finality. Why? Because the Lord seems to have released the secret to the church as to who will enter and who will not enter. And that's why this becomes a very critical teaching at this very important time in the history of the church, even as the prophetic timeline is progressing towards the end of age. And we are all aware that the Lord has spoken with me about the wedding of the Lamb of God. And on the 1st of November, the year 2006, at about 3 a.m. in the morning, in that very sharp turning point in the history of the church, he was able in a mighty visitation of the Lord to open heaven and present the two golden, glorious, perfect wedding rings that are heavily adorned with the perfection of the Lord. And he placed them at the entrance to heaven in the sky. And through that, he was able to speak a lot to the church re-emphasizing the perfection of the Bride of Christ, the character of the Bride of Christ, and he spoke even about the temporal, the timing, the time, the prophetic timeline and time frame within which the church has entered. And many times I've repeated this by saying that every time there is going to be a wedding and the wedding rings are ready, that is usually a clear indication that the preparations for that wedding have been finalized. And that means that wedding is ready, and that wedding can take place anytime from now. Surely that is the bottom line of the message the Lord was giving, even as he was defining the quality of the bride of Christ, the character. He was also talking about the fact that time has run out, anytime the wedding can take place. Also, 25 days from that special announcement I gave, 
based on the message of the wedding rings in the sky. On the 26th of November, the year 2006, he came back and he showed me how they asleep in the dust of the earth. The dead who were dead in Christ Jesus will be raptured from their graves and caught up with the Lord in his glory in the sky on the day of the wedding of the Lamb of God. And then when I was preaching in Asia, again in a repeat conversation about the rapture, the Lord at 5.38 a.m. in the morning on the 3rd of May, the year 2007, again he opened heaven and at that time, 5.38, he presented the golden clock from heaven into the sky. And when I looked at the clock, I saw that it was 11.59 p.m. In other words, it was one minute to midnight. Now, all these conversations put together, they speak about one thing. The fact that the rapture of the church is ready. The wedding of Christ the Messiah, the Lamb of God, is ready. The preparations have been finalized. And the fact that only the Father knows the day of the wedding of the Lamb, that not even the angels in heaven or the Son of Man knows the day when this wedding will take place. The fact that that is what is embedded in the scripture, that only the Father knows the day, coupled with the fact that the Lord is now giving revelation of the wedding rings having been prepared, of how the dead will rapture, of the clock in heaven, what the time in heaven looks like, one minute to midnight, that surely tells us that the Lord is sounding a warning to the church that she may prepare so she may not be caught unaware. In other words, to be on the watch, to be watchful for this mighty, irretrievable day of the rapture of the church. And that even stresses the gravity of this message I'm going to give today when the Lord himself talked about the wedding of the Lamb of God as being equalized, being synonymous in a parable of the ten virgins five who were foolish and failed to enter, five wise and entered into the banquet, the wedding of the Lamb of God. But today I want to walk with you very carefully. I'm going to dissect with you every single word the Lord spoke in this parable because the Lord has made me now understand that inside this scripture is embedded and is hidden the secret of who makes it into the wedding of the Lamb of God. And I think that's very critical for the church because that is the turning point. That is the age and that is the absolute difference between those that make it and those that do not make it. So I'll start by reading the lead scripture in the book of Matthew 25 verses 1 to 13. And then I'll walk you very carefully into the multifaceted dimensions of this scripture. And in so doing, the Holy Spirit will minister to you even on the requirements of the perfect bride of Christ that here is symbolized by the five wise virgins, so you too may be able to wear this character and enter into the rapture. Remember, after the rapture, there is no church and there is no Holy Spirit. He is only left with the Hebrew church, so they may be able also to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, in this scripture, he says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps. And if you follow this very carefully, he's talking about ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish 
and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. You begin to understand that there was oil available for them, but they did not take the oil. And I'm going to get very deep today, and you'll be very astonished as to what the Lord implied here. Again, I repeat, the foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. Verse 5, he says, The bridegroom was long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Hallelujah. Verse 7, Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. Remember, all the virgins woke up, all of them, the wise and the foolish, and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones say to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. Hallelujah. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. Verse 10, he says, But while they were on the way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. And remember that every time the door is shut, it is surely shut forever. We remember this very well during the time of Noah in the book of Genesis chapter 7 verse 16. When all who were coming in were male and female of all creatures, all animals, and when Noah had entered in, the Bible says, and the door was shut. And the Lord shut the door. That means it is the Lord that shuts the door. We see that here also. And the door was shut. That means this is a very critical message to you. Because it comes to you before the door is shut. So you surely have a window. Even to go into some of the character traits. That the Holy Spirit is going to talk about. So you may be able to enter. Before the door is shut. But look at what he says verse 11. Later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said. Open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth. I do not know you. Therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Let us stop there. That is a very deep scripture that has everything you need to enter into the kingdom of God. First of all, what you see very clearly from this scripture is that the Lord Jesus himself, who is the bridegroom, is talking about what will happen on the day of the rapture, the day of the wedding of the Lamb. So surely this is a critical message because it comes right from our Lord himself, the chief bridegroom. And the second thing, you see that he is equalizing, he is giving the example of the day of the wedding of the Lamb as being same as ten virgins. And you see here he's talking about ten virgins who set out to go meet the bridegroom. And all the ten virgins, if you look very carefully at this scripture, they pick their lamps. All the ten virgins pick their lamps. And the Bible says very clearly here in verse 1, who took their lamps and went out. Hallelujah. They went out, which means they stepped out of the house. They went out to meet the bridegroom. That right away tells you that the two groups 
the two churches, if you want to put it, that the Lord is talking about here, the five foolish virgins and the five wise virgins, all of them had their lamps lit. And all of them were aware that very soon the bridegroom is coming. Hallelujah. They were aware of the prophetic timeline. The time has changed, that the end time has arrived. So you see very clearly, they take their lamps. That is the salvation of the Lord. Their lamps are lit. And now the most critical thing is this. They went out. They stepped out of the house, out of the house of the Lord, to go out to meet the Lord. The other thing that you gather about this very important message the Lord gave to the church is that the waiting for the bridegroom would have to take place out in the night, in the darkness, because he comes in the midnight hour. So that tells you that there is going to be darkness out, the reason for which there was absolute necessity for them to carry the lamps. So they step out into the darkness. Hallelujah. And the other thing you see about them is that the foolish virgins, as they step out, they did not take. It's not they did not buy or they did not request for. They did not take the jar of oil. That means the oil was available to all. Hallelujah. While the wise virgins, he says very clearly here, verse 3, the foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. Verse 4, the wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. So you begin to see already what distinguished the foolish from the wise virgins is that the wise virgins were able to pick a jar of oil, each of them, as they stepped out, by the way. So you see very clearly from the word go that the Lord is talking about the end time here. And he's talking about a remnant that will have been sensitized in the Holy Spirit, even to have realized that very soon the rapture will take place, which means the chief bridegroom is going to appear very soon. He's not talking about the general church. He's talking about a minority in the church, and I'm telling you it is a minority. It's a remnant that are sensitized enough in the Holy Spirit even to know that the wedding rings are ready and to know that the clock in heaven reads one minute to midnight. And to know that, look, let us step out of the four walls and go out and wait on the bridegroom. You see what I'm talking about? This is an elite group. It's a small group. It's a minority elite that steps out. But out of that elite, it comes out very clearly in this scripture that the Lord is saying five were foolish and five were wise. Why does Jesus use five foolish and five wise? Equal number. In other words, the Lord is talking about that minority, first of all, to begin with, take the six billion plus on earth with all the different religions, the atheists, the non-believing, the secular people, and then take the Pentecostal now. Forget about the Catholicism, all the other religions that are within the so-called Christian faith as being put on a very generic term. Now take those who are enlightened about the Holy Spirit and about the teachings, the pure holy teachings of the Word of God. Let's say the Pentecostal church, if you want to put it that way. Because there are even churches that don't teach about the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about now the Pentecostal churches. It's an absolute minority, proportionate to the world population. Now, out of that minority that constitute the Pentecostal Bible teaching church, Holy Spirit believing or believing in the infilling of the Holy Spirit, they may not be infilled, but at least believing in it or pursuing that direction, take that minority out of the global population. It's a small minority, by the way. Now, take a fraction of that that has been sensitized enough to be able to step out 
That's what the Lord is talking about here. So you begin to understand that the Lord is talking about the remnant, the definition, redefining the remnant that will make the perfect bride of Christ. You see that? And surely this conversation I have with you, this script I'm reading today, and this revelation I'm bringing to you, even redefines the scripture of the book of Zechariah chapter 13, when he said in the whole land, he will bring judgment on the two-thirds, and the one-third, the minority that remains, he will now pass through the fire. Listen to this. The one-third, which is already a minority, he will now pass that into the fire of the Holy Spirit. Refine them like gold and silver, and test them like gold. Refine them like silver, test them like gold. Which means, take the one-third minority, pass that through the fire of the Holy Spirit, and then redefine the bride of Christ. Which means, the remnant of the remnant, is what he's talking about here. Hallelujah. And said, those ones will be mine, and they will say, the Lord, he is our God, and I will say, they are my people. And they will call upon me, and I will respond to them. Hallelujah. This is how sobering this is to the church. The Lord is talking about the minority within the Pentecostal churches that will be sensitized enough to know that Christ is coming soon. So they may step out. You see that? Step out of there to go in the darkness. Hallelujah. To wait on the bridegroom. And let me tell you one thing. When you look at this scripture here, you see that the bridegroom is coming in the darkness. He's not coming in the house. He's coming out there. But after taking the small minority that are separated out from the Pentecostal churches to go out in the darkness, hallelujah, the world has darkness. I'm going to define all these things for you. But to go out there, take that minority, then he says, divide it by half. Only half will enter. That's why he said five and five, 50%. Hallelujah. It is an absolute minority. It's a real remnant of the remnant. But you see very clearly that, that the wise virgins are able to take a jar of oil with them, while the foolish virgins do not take oil. The other thing that stands out here is that, again, if you look at what the Lord Jesus was saying here, all the virgins took a lamp of oil that was burning. Again, let me put it right. All the virgins took a lamp that was burning, wise or foolish. All the virgins went out. Hallelujah. All the virgins went to wait on the chief bridegroom who was coming in the darkness. All the virgins, because the bridegroom was long time in coming, became drowsy. You see that? All the ten virgins. And all the ten virgins fell asleep. And to take it further, when the midnight hour came, look at this somebody, all the virgins woke up. Hallelujah. And when all the virgins woke up, what did you see? All the ten virgins had to trim their lamps. Which means their lamps were going out. Their lamps were getting burnt out. Which means the performance of all the ten lamps, when it came to the midnight hour, became compromised. You see that? Which means there was a heavy requirement on the lamps at the midnight hour. We are going to talk about these things. And all the virgins trimmed their lamps. But what is amazing to me here is the fact that the midnight hour appears to be the defining moment that is now able to distinguish between the foolish virgins and the wise virgins. Because until the midnight hour, everything happened to all the virgins. Became drowsy, fell asleep. 
all of them were in one accord. All of them were operating in synchrony until the midnight hour is when now you could see the sharp difference between the wise virgins and the foolish virgins. But let me bring it to another level. When the Lord Jesus was talking about the foolish virgins that did not enter into the kingdom of God, when our Lord Jesus was talking about the five foolish virgins that failed at the midnight hour to enter into the kingdom of God, whom was the Lord talking about? Because I strongly believe right now that the secret to entry into the kingdom of God, the secret that is embedded within the word of the Lord in the Bible, on the identity of the perfect bride of Christ, is embedded and is resident in the ability of the church to receive revelation, which revelation will be able to define who these five foolish virgins were. That is where the secret for entering the kingdom of God is. It will not come from defining the wise virgins. It will come from the church being able to know that which she must avoid so she may enter the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. And you see very clearly that there are several scenarios here I want to walk you through. Let me bring you to another level on this now. Who were these people that the Lord symbolized as the five foolish virgins? Number one, you have seen very clearly that there are several things that were happening which are very similar across the board to both the foolish and the wise virgins. Again, I repeat it to you here. All the virgins carried a lamp. And all the virgins had their lamps lit. Hallelujah. The other thing you see here is that all the virgins stepped out in the darkness. And inside that darkness out there, all the virgins were awaiting. Which means they were aware that very soon, the chief bridegroom, the Messiah, our Lord Jesus would appear to take his bride. They were aware. All the virgins, we can see very clearly, in their inherent nature, in their personal being, their personal nature, in their propensity, their capacities, were not able to hold on to the waiting process. Hallelujah. That all the ten virgins became drowsy because of the weariness, the drudgery of the waiting process, the heavy-duty nature of the waiting process for the chief bridegroom. The Bible says, and the bridegroom was long time in coming. So all of them could not hold. They had a poor lagging ability, holding on ability. You see that? And all of them became drowsy, and all of them became sleepy, and indeed fell asleep. Hallelujah. But we see that all of them heard. Listen to me, somebody. This is critical for the church. All of them heard the voice of the archangel. All of them heard the announcement at the midnight hour, which announcement was announcing the coming of the bridegroom, the midnight cry. This is very tricky for the church because we also know that the majority of the church will not even hear the voice of the archangel. You see that? The majority of the church will not even hear the trumpet call of God. We know that only those who have operated in the Holy Spirit, whose spiritual ears have been opened, will be able to hear the voice of the archangel. Because that voice is a spiritual voice. We also know that the Bible puts it very clearly that only those who have operated in the Holy Spirit, 
whose spiritual ears have been opened by the Holy Spirit will be able to hear the trumpet call of God because that trumpet is a spiritual trumpet. Hallelujah. And those that will have their spiritual ears open as in being able to hear the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God are an absolute minority even in the church, by the way. You see that? Especially considering how things are moving in the church today. But out of that, we very clearly see that when all the ten virgins have heard the voice of the archangel announcing the coming of Christ the Messiah in the rapture, hallelujah, which mighty coming is coming to take the perfect bride, all of them are able to wake up from the sleep and all of them are able to trim their lamps. It's called the wick, which means these lamps were burning all through, but when it comes the midnight hour, all of a sudden there is excessive load on the burning of the lamps. So they are forced to trim those virgins without oil and the virgins with oil. There is a heavy load requirement, a heavy requirement on the lamps at the midnight hour. Hallelujah. So who were these five foolish virgins that even after hearing the voice of the archangel, even after hearing the trumpet call of God, were not able to enter? I believe now, based on this revelation the Lord has given me, this is the secret that the church has been awaiting so she may be able to really define and redefine the identity of the perfect bride of Christ. So whom did the Lord Jesus symbolize by the five foolish virgins who did not take an extra jar of oil even as they stepped out to meet the chief bridegroom? Hallelujah. Isn't that amazing? Now listen to this. There could have been several people. I'm going to walk in the whole battery, the whole spectrum, the whole possibility, what the Lord Jesus could have implied when he spoke about the five foolish virgins. And based on what I will have said, it will come out very clearly with pinpoint accuracy whom the Lord Jesus implied. And based on your ability to identify this particular group that fails to make it, then you too can be able to avoid that which they did so you can see the kingdom of God. And to me, I think this is a mighty day for the church. These are teachings that you don't find anywhere. You don't find in any Christian TV. You don't find in any Christian radio. I even don't have time to share with the different churches in the different nations as I bring to them the mighty announcement of the coming of our Lord Jesus in the mighty rapture of the church. So let us begin at one place here. Who are these five foolish virgins? Whom did Jesus imply here? One possibility is this. In the whole spectrum, one possibility is this. Did the Lord Jesus imply those who reject the Holy Spirit? Did he imply those outside who reject the Holy Spirit? That is just a possibility. Number two, let's move it to another level. Did he imply the Pharisees, because remember he was talking at that time in the presence of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Because you have to remember very well that the Lord Jesus, being a prophet, he was aware that a prophet cannot be received in his hometown, even by his people. And the Lord Jesus was also very much aware of the bitter exit that he would have to make. 
the bitter rejection and the bitter exit, how they would mistreat him, reject him, and kill him. Hallelujah. Or was Jesus talking about the Jews? That's the broad community, the broad class. Because the Pharisees and the Sadducees were just a section of the Jewish community, the Hebrew people. Was the Lord implying the Hebrew people, the Jewish people? Because you can see very clearly that at that time, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, they did not recognize him as the Messiah, which essentially means that they did not recognize the new covenant of the grace which he brought. And remember the difference between the five foolish virgins and the five wise virgins is the jar of oil. And yet we know that the jar of oil essentially stands for the consecrated olive oil, the consecrated anointing oil, stands for the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And there is no way the Jewish people, the Jews, and the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, would have had to receive the Holy Spirit if they did not embrace the new covenant of the grace of our Lord Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit only came through the new covenant of the grace. Hallelujah. So did Jesus imply the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Jewish people? Let me bring it to another level. Who were these foolish virgins? Because the secret will depend on your ability to receive revelation as to be able to identify whom these foolish virgins were who missed the kingdom of God that you may avoid being them so you may enter. Hallelujah. And again, I've made it very clear here that it will not depend on your ability to try to define the five wise virgins. Now, let me bring it to another level. Did the Lord Jesus imply, by the foolish virgins, did he imply the church that would reject him? Hallelujah. There are several scenarios here you have to understand. Remember that everything that was spoken about Israel, even the rejection that Israel gave unto the Lord Jesus, who is the cornerstone of Israel, by the way, which rejection led to the closure of the eastern gate of Jerusalem, and yet inside that gate was the temple of the Lord, and the eastern gate is closed facing the Mount of Olives where the rapture takes place, and from where the new visitation of the second coming will take place, we know that there is nothing the Lord God spoke to his wife, the wife of Jehovah Israel, that was not a prophecy. He was speaking to the bride of Christ, the church. So by the foolish virgins, did the Lord imply the church that would fail to recognize him, reject him, or reject the Holy Spirit, essentially? Who were these people the Lord referred to? Let me bring it to another level. Did the Lord Jesus imply that church, those of you that receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit and then lose it? Because we've seen such cases too. We've seen King Saul in the Bible, anointed of the Lord, and then because he falls out of the obedience of the Lord, the will of the Holy Spirit, he is caused to lose the anointing of the Holy Spirit. 
We've seen the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem during the time of Ezekiel. The glory of the Lord is in the temple. But because of the fallout, the glory of the Lord leaves the temple of the Lord. That's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Is somebody following me here? Hallelujah. We also see David, the precious servant of the Lord. The man that the Lord Jehovah himself said, that is a man after my own heart. Remember, David was very special unto the Lord. No wonder the Lord Jesus is said to come back and sit. He's coming back to sit on the throne of his father, David. David had the anointing as a prophet of God. The Lord spoke with him at that time by voice and visions and dreams as he speaks to his prophets. David was also raised as a shepherd, a pastor of the Lord's people, Israel. David was anointed in several capacities as a king. Many, many anointings. He had multiple anointings. God loved him. But we see that when David falls to sexual sin, he loses the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Is this the group of people Jesus was implying when he spoke about the five foolish virgins who did not carry the oil? We also see very clearly here several cases in the Bible. Even Eli. Eli was a priest ordained by the Lord, favored by the Lord, anointed of the Lord, so he operated under the influence of the Holy Spirit. When he offered the blood, the glory came and sat on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. That means the Holy Spirit was with him. But when Eli is not able to rebuke sin, even the sexual sin that his sons were involved in, what do you see? We see very clearly that he loses the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the Ark of the Covenant is taken away into Ashdod by the Philistines. He loses the anointing of the Lord. Are these the people the Lord implied to? Is this the group that Jesus was talking about symbolizing them even with the five foolish virgins who even up to the point of being able to hear the voice of the archangel still did not enter into the rapture of the church. Who are these people, somebody? There are several cases of servants of God losing the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Who are these people that fail to enter even after they have heard the voice of the archangel. Because it will strictly depend on the ability of the church to use the wisdom, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the revelation of the Holy Spirit in defining this category. That is what will allow the church entry into the rapture. There are many cases in the Bible of servants of God, even the men of God from Judah, First Kings chapter 13. The men that the Lord sent to speak to the altar when Jeroboam was the king. 1 Kings 13. And you see the Lord sent him and said, When you go and encounter the altar, and I'm sure he saw it in a dream. I can tell you very clearly, I see every day, I see things, I see people, even before I meet them, I see every event of the day. And this man of God must have also seen this event. That when he went, he would meet Jeroboam at the altar, preparing to offer 
the defiling, the filthy sacrifice they were offering unto the altar in those high places and to speak to the altar, to speak to that altar. And you see that when Jeroboam, the king, when the king said, apprehend him, get a hold of him, then the hand of the king remained dry. Hallelujah. There was so much power of the Holy Spirit with the man of God from Judah in 1 Kings 13. But look at this somebody. After all that, accomplishing the mission, the Lord had initially spoken with him and told him, on your way back, don't use the same route you have used. And don't eat any bread or drink any water. That was the instruction, the command of the Lord. But what do you see here? He uses a different route. And then an old prophet sends his servant who lies to this young prophet, the man of God from Judah. And the young prophet, the man of God from Judah, goes and eats bread with the old prophet. And in the process, when he goes back, the lion is able to devour him and kill him. And so you see the picture, very, very tough picture of the donkey standing here on one side of the road. The dead body of the man of God from Judah is here on the road. And the lion is standing on this side. The lion is not able to attack the donkey. And the dead body is lying there. In fact, to bring it to another level, the old prophet comes. The lion is still standing here. The donkey is here. And he pulls away the young prophet who has been killed. The man of God from Judah. And the lion cannot even attack, does not attack the old prophet who lied to the man of God from Judah. We know that the anointing of the Holy Spirit is the favor of the Lord. That is what empowers the church, empowers the Christian, empowers the servants, even protects the servants of God as they are sent by the Lord. So you can see very clearly that the anointing of the Holy Spirit had left this man of God from Judah because of disobedience. Hallelujah. So who were these people that the Lord Jesus talking about? You see that there is a real possibility here that he could have been talking about the anointed who lose the anointing. And it seems to me that this loss of the anointing of the Holy Spirit only takes place at the midnight hour, at the peak season, when now the bridegroom is coming. Hallelujah. I'm bringing you to the next level. We have seen that the remnant that enters into the rapture of the church is absolutely the remnant of the Lord. Even the word remnant is defined by the Lord himself. This is what we're beginning to see even as this teaching is advancing and progressing. And again, I've spoken very clearly that it will depend on the ability of the church to be able to discern and without a doubt identify the five foolish virgins that did not enter into the kingdom of God and that out of there is the big gateway for the church to enter into the rapture because then she can avoid that which the foolish virgins had so she can see the kingdom of God. I want to move to the next level even as we look at this mighty, mighty conversation the Lord is having with the church regarding his perfect bride. Now, one of the main things that stands out is the fact that out of the church, those who receive revelation at that point in time that the wedding of the Lamb of God is near, 
That minority symbolized by the ten virgins, not five, ten virgins, who pick up their lamps and step out into the darkness. We've seen that that is the minority that steps out, the remnant that steps out to go to wait on the bridegroom. But one of the key things that we see clearly, which I want to address right now, and in much greater depth, is the fact that they step out into the darkness. What is the Lord speaking on that? What is the message to the church? Even as we elucidate, we open up, unveil this mighty, mighty conversation that marks the finality of the process of preparations for the wedding of the Lamb of God. Now, very clearly, I want to look at the darkness into which the virgins stepped out. Now, the fact that there was darkness out definitely brought a necessity into the virgins taking lamps to go out. Again, I rephrase it. The virgins needed the lamps burning before they could step out and go wait for the chief bridegroom, who is the perfect Lamb of God, who is Christ Jesus, the Messiah. They needed lamps which were lit in order to go out, like the Bible says, so they could wait on the coming of the Lamb of God. What is this darkness that was out there? And we see that when the Lord comes in the midnight hour, hallelujah, in the heart of the darkness of the night, in the midnight hour, he comes in the darkness. So what is this darkness? Let us look at the darkness vis-a-vis the Lord and the virgins. What is the Lord speaking to you as a church today when he says they stepped out in the darkness? Remember very well our Lord Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So this darkness essentially speaks about the world. It speaks about the sinful world. And that essentially also allows us to redefine, re-explain the process of the virgins taking their lamps and stepping out, and even the purpose for which they stepped out with the lamps. Hallelujah. We have seen several cases which we are going to handle, like in the book of Daniel, chapter 12, verses 2 to 3, when the Lord was speaking about the rapture and the raptured saints. And he said, And for those who are wise, they will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And for those who lead many into righteousness, Hallelujah, like the stars forever and ever. And you see very clearly that there is a command there. When it comes to the rapture, the Lord was speaking of a commissioning statement, a commissioning of the church. That's why you see that the ten virgins, having received revelation that the end time has come and the wedding is going to happen very soon, that the bridegroom is going to appear very soon, they stepped out of the church, out. They went out into the darkness, into the world. And so you begin to understand that they took the commissioning statement, they embodied it into their beings, which means they wore it, they carried it, which tells you that they went out to evangelize the dark world. Hallelujah. Again, you see very clearly here that in the book of Daniel it says, If you bring more, you evangelize more in these last days, you shine like the stars forever and ever. Hallelujah. 
And those who are wise, I don't want to go into that now. Wisdom. What is wisdom to the Lord? And later I will explain the true identity of the wise virgins to you. And you see why Daniel said those who are wise will shine like the brightness of heaven. The Bible in the book of Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. So you see the context under which the Lord used the word wise. And those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. But let's move step by step into this. The world that we live in is a dark world. That is how the Lord characterizes the world. There is a lot of darkness in the world. And there are several scriptures here that define the church vis-a-vis the world, whereby the world is in darkness and the church has the light. And again, like I said, our Lord Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Let's look very clearly here at the book of Micah, right from the Old Testament. Micah chapter 7, verses 8 to 9. What does the Lord say about this darkness and the light that he brought us? And he says that this is the prophecy that was spoken about the darkness that the Lord speaks about. He says, Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Again, verse 8, I repeat. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. So that explains to you very clearly what the Lord meant when he said, I am the light of the world. You see very clearly that that is the light from which his people would tap from. So they too can be the light of the world. Hallelujah. And he still talks about the darkness the people of the Lord sit in. Verse 9 he says, Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case. And he continues to say, And establishes my right. He will bring me out into the light, and I will see his righteousness. Isn't that amazing? He begin to understand that when the Lord said he is the light of the world, essentially he implied that there is a darkness out there in the world, and that darkness carries wickedness and evil. And so he was urging us as his people to make sure we seek the light so we can be able to see the righteousness of the Lord. Hallelujah. So in other words, when the five wise virgins and the five foolish virgins received revelation of the coming of the Lord, that the Lord would come very soon in the rapture into the wedding of the Lamb of God, and they lit up their lamps, took the light, hallelujah, and they went out into the darkness they essentially were emulating, taking up the command, so they too may bring forth the light of the Lord that they have found unto the dark world. So that speaks about the righteousness that they were supposed to reflect. Hallelujah. And that also brings into definition, into this picture, he that gave them the light. Who lit their lamps? So they would be able to bring 
into the dark world the light that only comes from the Lord. Because only the Lord is the light of the world. Let us advance this very slowly. In the book of Ezekiel chapter 1, again we are still talking about our Lord Jesus being the light of the world. Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 27, this is what he says here precious people. Ezekiel was describing the throne around the Lord when the Lord he opened the eyes of Ezekiel the prophet of God and Ezekiel was able to look and see the throne of God. This is what he saw, just one verse, verse 27, Ezekiel 1, 27. This is what he says. He says, I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, and that from there down he looked like fire, and brilliant light surrounded him. So you begin to understand why the Lord said, I am the light of the world. Because around the throne of God, there is the brilliant light of the Lord. And we are seeing very clearly here that that light is what allows his people, hallelujah, to see the righteousness of the Lord. And we know that the righteousness of the Lord is an absolute requirement for the five wise virgins even to enter into the kingdom of God. You see how I'm pulling this, I'm beginning to derive this for you, so you may understand exactly why the virgins carried the lamps they carried. They did not carry ornamental lamps. I know in many homes, you get some lamps which are very ornamental, decorative purpose. This is not for decorative purpose. They carried lamps, so the lamps would help them in the darkness of the world where they were heading to, so they can be the light of that world, reflecting the light of the world that is our Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. In other words, becoming the bearers of the light of the Lord in the dark world. Is somebody following me here? And we're going to get very deep here. This is an absolute mighty revelation to the church. So, they may be able to to be the bearers of the mighty light of the Lord, who is the light of the world. So they too may be the light of the world in the darkness of the world. But the light that they carried, even by the lamps they carried, was not just for purposes of the dark world to see the light that was Christ in them, but was also for purposes of enabling them to walk right within the darkness of the world. Personal now, that they too may walk right. And I'm going to walk you into every scripture that talks about every single element I've mentioned here. Which means there was going to be a process, once they reach out in that darkness, in the process of waiting for the Lord, in the process of being on the watch out, and this is the minority that steps out to go watch out, wait on the Lord, there would be a process. And as they go through that process, they don't want to stumble and fall. They want to see the rocks as they put their feet right. Your lamp is a light unto my feet. Hallelujah. But let me walk you very slowly, step by step, so we may understand even how that light becomes a key feature in the process of waiting on the chief bridegroom, 
that is coming in the rapture of the church. In fact, that is the most important feature that will eventually distinguish the five foolish virgins from the wise virgins and vice versa. Now, the book of John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, still talking about Christ, the light of the world. And once we understand the light that he brought, then we'll understand the quality of light that he was talking about which the five wise virgins were able to maintain so they could be first of all distinguished from the light that the five foolish virgins were giving. Number two, that you may understand the quality of life that the five wise virgins were occurring that was able to bring quality into their waiting process so they may be able to enter the kingdom of God. Again, understanding the nature of the Lord as the light of the world will enable us also to understand the quality of life, the distinction between the quality of life that the wise virgins had compared to the quality of life that the foolish virgins had, which quality of light enabled the wise virgins to be able to perform even in the last moment, the peak hour, when everything set in, the anxiety, the fear that you see in very soon, when finally the announcement has been made and all the other lamps are going low, they're dying, they're extinguishing, they're going dim, yet the quality of light that the five wise virgins had, in fact, went up and up from one level of glory to the next, thereby enabling them to perform at peak time the last days, hallelujah, and to enter into the wedding banquet of the Lamb of God. Now we are working on the mechanics of the process that allows the remnant church to enter into the wedding of the Lamb of God. And that's why I said, I'm going to dissect it for you such that no stone will be left unturned and such that at the end of this session, it will be clear without a speck of a doubt what you ought to do so you can enter into the kingdom of God. And I'm bringing this to you very much aware of the fact that every letter of every word written in this book, the Bible, will be fulfilled on that day. So it's absolutely important that we understand that the King of Wisdom, our Lord, when he spoke these things, these are things that have a lot of revelation embedded underneath, thereby requiring the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, so we may be able to understand for purposes of entering into the kingdom of God. If you are somewhere and you know that this message has touched you, and now you know that time is out, and if the rapture took place today, you are not ready, repeat this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I repent of all my sins and I receive you as Lord and Savior. Let me live to please you. Please help me with the Holy Spirit. I open my heart. Fill me so I may enter into the kingdom of God. In the mighty name of Jesus. Today I am born again. 
Amen.